Yo, if you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain. It's free. There's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Word. Voting isn't just going to the polls on election day anymore. Options like early voting, mailing voting, and ballot drop boxes are available to more voters and are growing in popularity. How to Vote, a tool created by Democracy Works, breaks down the options your state offers for casting a ballot, empowering you to decide when and where to vote. How to Vote is easy to use and helps folks from all over the country overcome many of the process barriers to voting. Decide when and where you vote this year at howto.vote. Even though this is a presidential election, there are many more candidates on the ballot besides the president. Go to Ballot Ready for a nonpartisan guide to your entire ballot. From there, you can compare the candidates based on stances on issues, biography or endorsements, and then save your choices to use when you vote by mail or in the voting booth. You can even request your absentee ballot or make a plan to vote early or on election day. This election matters. Make sure you have a plan to vote and vote informed. Go to BallotReady.org and enter your address to make a plan to vote and vote informed. (coughs) (coughs) What's good, everyone? We got two special, two special hosts. Let's go, y'all. Today's a special day. Today's a special day. Huh? TC. What's up? You already know. Please, (laughs) special host, introduce yourself. Hey, my name's Elon. I'm just here to hang out for today. Be a host, (laughs) (laughs) co-host. All right. Um. So today, what we're going to be talking about is voting. It's going elections is coming up. Yes, and it's it's time to you know vote the power of voting and talk about social issues mm-hmm. we're gonna have two activists coming you know dropping gems yeah we we definitely ready for this but you know we always got to give an introduction so um we're gonna talk about different brands of water now i'm not gonna lie this was too much research. This was going to be like a whole... Yes. Oh, oh, hey. oh, hold on. Yeah, you right. that now? Hold on. Let's go. Let's go. <laughs> I use it all the time. You get it at diamondcatchingcenses.com. Facts. Let's yeah. get it. Facts right here. Oh, yeah. Yeah. No, we yeah. can't yeah. grind without waking up. I can't, I can't leave you alone. alone. Yeah. Yes. Absolutely. Yo, that's what it is. Please, a water bottle. Absolutely. <laughs> Um, yeah, so different brands of water. Um, so I'm not gonna bring too much of it. I'm only gonna give like 
a brief summary of this because it will take a whole podcast for this. Um, okay. So the different brands of water, a lot of people say it's just water. But that is very true. Absolutely. Now, the things about the different brands of water is that it tastes different. Why does it taste different? It tastes different because of the way how they put the electrolytes and the minerals and um, it and um, the purified of how what they put in the water. It's something that they put in the water of why it tastes so different. Fiji, Dasani, Aquafina, Poland Spring. So yeah, it's it's the reason like um. Let me get into Dasani first, right? Dasani's pH level, I've read an article about it, and it's very, the pH levels are low. And it's uh, purified tap water. And the ingredients they put in Dasani is salt, magnesium, magnesiums I can't really sound that out sulfate um which is that's another salt I'm not going to get in too deep into the ingredients <clears throat> but pretty much the sani is they put the minerals and salt the minerals and the salt in water so it's so this brand is owned by coca-cola Yes. So it's yeah. a, a so a, so a soda a soda company owns a water owns water. So Dasani is tap water and they just put minerals in it, put salt and that's it. That's pretty much of what my research of what they do. Mm. Yes. Crazy and, uh, that somebody even thought to like bottle water and then they profited off of it. <laughs> <laughs> and yes, and it costs yeah. it cost, and you know how we pay like one dollar, two dollars for bottles of water to mm-hmm. produce it, it's less than that. Yep. Someone's making a profit off of us. That's how it goes. Yeah. Unfortunately. Yes. <laughs> yes. It's um, all business at the end of the day. Absolutely. Right. Uh, mm-hmm. potassium potassium chloride which is that's that potassium chloride if you see that in any of the water bottles it makes that's what makes the water taste different yeah so mm-hmm. oh and uh for aquafina aquafina what is the opposite of coca-cola for uh the soda brand Pepsi. There you go. I think we know that. Never knew that. So, yeah, Pepsi owns Aquafina. Hmm. Okay. Yes, and um, it's that is another acid water, and uh, it's another top water. It's like Dasani, hmm. and uh, so all of these water bottle water bottles that. You know, we drink plastic off of. Some people are saying it's not supposed to be plastic. 
it, we're not supposed to be drinking out of plastic. Now, yeah. from now, to be honest with you, I can't say you can't be drinking out of plastic. It's not good for your health because I haven't done full research on it. But I will tell you that if you plan to drink any of these type of waters, uh, please do your research. If you plan to drink alkaline water, that's totally fine. Like a Essentia, Fiji. Um, yeah, just look at the pH level waters. But yeah. And so what pH level, <clears throat> oh, sorry. What pH level is it supposed to be exactly? The highest is like the seven. Yeah, seven, seven, seven or higher. Um, if okay. someone, if someone in the comments can say, <clears throat> "Hey, Diamond Cash, you're wrong for that," then I would say that in the next episode, like, "Hey, guys, I am wrong. It is mm-hmm. not seven. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, but it's all about you know doing research to you know yeah. get knowledge. So you know, this is you know, but it's very important to. Drink aqua. Yeah. Yeah. Now, Fiji is expensive. Smart, smart water. We have a uh what else? Avion core. Yeah, Vaz. Yes. Yeah. And let let me tell you about uh Fiji water. So Fiji water, in the other hand, it's like overall, it's a natural artesia water it's an electrolyte enhanced water um from like fiji islands so it's a significant soft smooth taste various sizes like like to choose from um but a lot of people honestly fiji water is is it's it's good um Mm -hmm. it is expensive though but to it tastes it tastes well to me. I'll Isn't Fiji know. water like rainwater, but it is purified in a way? Hmm. I guess. I thought I heard that before. I could be wrong. I'm not gonna say yes or no because I haven't done research on that one. Hmm. Yeah. So um I do know that essential water is alkaline water. Absolutely. So yeah. essential water, that's honestly that's like the best water for mm-hmm. me. That's my to go water also. So yes, yeah. So it like you know it's free from contamination. It's it's free with metals, fluoride, macroorganism, bacteria, alkaline electrolytes. It's a nine point five pH or higher. Mm-hmm. So that's essential water. Um. So the ice, the Icelandic, um that water, the natural spring alkaline water, so that natural low mineral content is a certified carbon neutral for both products, so it operates. You know, so natural alkaline water with the pH level of, it has an 8.4. Yeah. So, uh, as for, I'm about to bring up a source to y'all to read, and then we about to get into it for our next, you know, the Segment. next. Absolutely. So source water. 
the sources the sources of bottled water includes rivers, lakes, streams, ponds, springs, and wells. As water naturally travels over the surface of the land or through the ground, it can pick up natural occurrence substance as well as substance that are present due to animal and human activities. So substance that may be present in the source water includes any of the following inorganic substance include but not limited to salt or metals that can be naturally occurred or result from farming. So urban storm water runs off industrial or domestic wastewater discharges or oil gas productions and pesticides and herbicides that may come from a variety of sources includes but not limited to architecture urban storm which is the water runs off residential areas i hope everyone understands that <laughs> i'm grasping it quite enlightening enlightening yeah <laughs> basically that's a good word choice yes yeah. <laughs> yes but although what I'm going to say is these brands of water, whether it's tap water, whether it's Essentia or whatever it is, honestly, just it's very good to drink water. Even though some brands have the acid water and, you know, when they bring up the, you know, the, the minerals and electrolytes and everything, you know, it's up to you to drink it. So, yeah. But at the end of the day, you need water. Facts. At the end of the day facts yeah Yeah. so when people say it's just water like i said it is Mm -hmm. true yes it's just water but remember they put something in the water so yeah find the best water for you and you know take it from there word that's what it is all right we about to get into it so we got two special guests and since voting everyone shout out to everyone that is early voting matter of fact facts <laughs> yes <laughs> thank you so much for voting because i mean yes you're affecting yourself you're affecting me you're affecting mm-hmm. everybody so let's... yes 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 <laughs> and i i just want to say like you know this is very important for us very important for us like i'm not gonna like this is it's very serious even though people don't choose who to you know who to pick the candidate when you know when the start like but still people like what i'm what i'm trying to say is the the people didn't choose joe biden we know that the Democratic Party picked Joe Biden, but that's for enough. Yeah. That's for when our guest, you know, shows up mm-hmm. and drop gems on them. So um, yeah, let's get it. Uh, let's bring our special guest, everyone. We got two special guests in the building. We got, please, please, yo, today. It's about, it's very important. And we got two activists. Please, 
introduce yourself. Who are you? So I went Jamel. Good evening, everyone. Uh, happy Sunday. Hope all is well. Happy to be here for all of you. Um, my name is Jamel Henderson. I am a community organizer and a four-time graduate of the City University of New York, pursuing my Doctor of Education in Community Partnerships and Leadership at the College of Staten Island. Truly happy and honored to be here with all of you. Let's get it. Let's get it. Hercules. How y'all doing? Um, my name is Hercules Reed, and yes, that is my real name. Um, blessed to be here with you all. I'm currently an assistant uh, for the Deputy Borough President, uh, working at the Office of the Brooklyn Borough President, Eric Adams, um, where I have an opportunity to take my activism into governmental space and continue the agenda of the people as much as possible. Um, outside of that, like I said, I'm a community advocate um, here in East Flatbush, uh, Brooklyn, and um, just love what I do and happy to be here again. Let's get it. Let's get it. Nice. All right. Nice. Um, so this is this is this this episode is going really going to be about uncomfortable conversations to, you know, a lot of people. And uh, we're going to really talk about social issues, the important, the, the importance of voting. And um, first off, before I, we ask questions to you two guys, I want to congratulate you for being such a leader and being the person you are and, you know, and just bettering your community, you know, and Black Lives Matter. Facts. I, I just want to congratulate you guys, seriously. Uh, word. Um, so first, please tell us, uh, Hercules, this is the first question for you. What, talk about the census what, and why is it so important to benefit the people? So um, I don't mean to be that person, but if you can give me like a couple seconds, I'm about to transition. I just got to my house. Um, sure. And I want to make sure I'm in a better place before I start that. All right. That's no problem. No problem. Okay. So Jamel, we're just, uh, we're going to get into you. So why is it so important for, um, to be a leader and how can someone be and like, how can someone be inspired to do what you do as such a great leader you are, as you're continue doing, you know, bettering your community and uh, like you're dropping gems on the community and you're going to people's like houses, like, hey, you know, this is important to talk about politics. Like, you know, just talk to our listeners about that. Great question. And uh, simply put, just be yourself. Mm. Okay. And those who are listening and watching may think, well, well, that seems very harsh. It just seems simple. But I think about the thousands and millions of people who take that simple formula and turn it into a quadratic equation. And what tends to happen is 
when you're trying to fixate yourself in a way that is appeasing to the world, appeasing to technology, appeasing to things that are non-tangible, that are not sufficient and providing the essential nutrients for your growth and development, then you get lost. You know, I tell people I do what I do because number one, it is spiritually infused in me. Right? Um, I will not be remiss if I don't make it clear that my Christian values and principles and my personal journey with God and Christ plays a big Absolutely. role. Absolutely. But more importantly, the passion that I have, and I use scientific terms, is embedded in my nucleoli of each and every cell. What does that mean? I eat, I live. I breathe this as part of my daily function. All the while learning to continue to be yourself. So I would say to anybody that is designing or geared to be a leader, you are born with it. And even if you're not born with it, you can make the choice to acquire the skills that's needed to be an effective leader. And I'll close with this. I use this at my workshops. Do you, all of you all can sing. Everyone that's watching, listening, all of you all can sing. If you were, if I was to tell you to sing a song right now, you all could sing it, right? But if you want to become a singer, you have to develop the skills that's necessary to master that trait, right? Singer is the ability to sing, you know, and on a high scale, right? All of you can sing songs, but if you want to really master that craft, you got to acquire the daily attributes that's needed. Same thing as a leader. You can't be a leader until you understand, you can't have the, the ability to be a leader until you understand what it means to lead. But it starts with you. So that's my answer. <laughs> Let's go. Let's go. Uh, TC, TC, you. One more question says, I want to know, like, why it's so important, especially this day and age for us Black people to start voting and start knowing, like, our rights as people in America? Who is that question for? That's for both of you sorry. Oh, both Jamel, you guys, I thought, yeah. oh, okay. Yeah, no, yeah, maybe yeah. Hercules, thought... Hercules came back. Hercules came okay. back to so both of you guys. <laughs> Sorry about that. Yeah, so, I mean, the interesting thing about your question is it was always important to vote. Um, this yeah. is not a new agenda. Um, as you know, most of us learned some form of this history. Our forefathers fought so we can have this right for Black people, for women, um, and, and, and you name it. So when you say why now, I say, well, there was a message that was missing because this was always important. Um, people literally died so that we had this right. People literally um, went against the grain when it was unpopular to do so, so we could have this right. So when I vote, when I go out there and I march and I say I'm an activist, half of the reason is because people paved the way so I could have the right to scream and to yell 
or to go to the polls and vote. And so it is because I want to honor them first why I'm engaged. Outside of that, you have to realize that a lot of the things that they were fighting for are still on the ballots during these elections through who's representing us, meaning, you know, you go to elect someone for representation purposes, right? Why do we need to show up to the polls? So that we make sure that our voices are heard as far as who we want to represent us. It may not be always the best person to represent us, but by us showing up, we at least say we prefer this option. Um, when we sit it out, we don't even get an opportunity to have the same conversations. So for me, I think it's important for people of color to vote because it creates a space for us to have a different conversation where people can actually say and look at the stats and the numbers and say, okay, I'm gonna take this person a little bit more seriously because they vote. And not only do they vote, they encourage other people to vote. So if I wanna win, I have to now sit down with these communities. I have to talk to these people because they hold weight. And that's why it's important to vote. That's why it's important to get involved because the people who get into office, if they look at your current corner of the world and they see about 10 people out of the hundred came out to vote for them, but next door, 100 out of 100 people came to vote for them. They're gonna go where the 100 people voted for them. In the neighborhood where only three people voted for them, they're gonna like, well, they'll get a little byproduct of what I decided to do. They're not as much of a priority, but if our communities and the numbers continue to come out and vote, um, it starts a different level of a conversation. Okay. Could you repeat the question one more time? I, I'm intentionally asking it. Okay. Why is it so important for the Black community to start voting, especially what's happening now in today's world? Okay. So to answer that question, I'm going to pose a question mm -hmm. that I think will give you the answer. Mm. Of all the racial and ethnic groups in the United States ever recorded, why is the African-American race Black, anything associated with Black, have been intentionally suppressed for that right? The only one. Mm -hmm. The only one. Only one, yeah. And so when I hear people say, why is it important to vote? I tell people to look at their history and look mm -hmm. at Reconstruction and what caused the end of Reconstruction. Rutherford B. Hayes was elected president by one electoral vote with a deal with Southern Democrats to end Reconstruction. Mm. They said to Southern Democrats, if you elect me, the first item on my agenda is to put an end to the Reconstruction laws or the Reconstruction progressivism that was happening, which was to see for the very first time the results of the Black vote 
which therefore gave us access to represent the black community on all levels of government. Not to take over, not to dictate or dominate, but to literally follow the creed of the Declaration of Independence mm -hmm. and the laws of the United States Constitution. Intimidation. And you have to understand that the intimidation is real right now. And I said this five years ago, and I'm going to say it again. We're at war. And we're Facts. at war against racism. This Facts. is a great war. Facts. And there's a war between what I deem as old America and new America. And I'm not saying it in terms of generational divide. I'm saying in terms of ideology. Old America believes the normalcy. And I'll put it in New York City terms, where Black people, Hispanics, Latinx, Latino, Latina, in terms of progressivism and upward mobility, is like riding the C train on Sunday. Okay? Boss. You know how crappy that the service is. Yeah. And to about 30 minutes. And then it just crawls through each station. Mm -hmm. White and others associated with white in terms of ethnic groups are on the A train at normal service. They don't have to worry about any service changes. They don't have to worry about any detours. They get to each and every stop via express. Mm. Now, how does that turn into policy? Well, when whites and those associated with that racial ethnic group need to see change happen, it quickly goes through the legislative process. Okay. If you look at our Jewish brothers and sisters, and the things that they have experienced in terms of injustices among their race and their religion. When they want to see change happen, express stop service to making sure that they are seen and treated safely. We want the same exact thing, nothing different. We've been told we're being held momentarily by the train dispatcher, please be patient. And you hear that all the time. We want equality. Please be patient. We want 100% affordable housing. Please be patient. We want funding for our schools to have the same equal accessibility of resources, just like our white counterparts. Please be patient. We want to have an opportunity to have the same type of fixed you know, mortgage income rates as our white counterparts. We want to become more homeowners. Please be patient. We want to have better roads. Please be patient. So the question becomes, and this is where I give you the answer. The question becomes, when are you going to be sick and tired of taking the local route towards equality? What are you going to do? Mm. Mm. He just muted himself. Mm. He just muted himself. Like mm. that's it. Mm. 
That's it. That's it. That's a ball. Hold up. Uh, yes. Hold up. Did we get some Poe snap for that one? Like, what? <laughs> like, yo. <laughs> yo. <laughs> let's get it. He literally dropped the mic. You realize that, right? He's just like, okay. That's oh, it. Man. Um, yes. Elon. Yeah. Yeah. I'm really glad that, you know, he was, he was just um, talking about how, um, you know, Black... Black Americans are just so disgruntled because I, I mean, you know, um, I have someone in my life, well, he's a, you know, a black man and he doesn't want to vote. And I'm really, I mean, I don't think I'm going to be able to convince him, but, um, I guess for people that don't want to vote, I mean, what kind of conversations can you have with them to kind of convince them? Because, um, he, uh, this person, he's, um, he's personally, he feels like um, the policies that like um, Kamala Harris and Biden, you know, the, um, their policies um, hurt the people in their life and make them um, go to jail longer or kind of like uh, criminalize black men. So they're really, uh, this person is like really reluctant to like vote at all. And um, so, I mean, what kind of conversations can you have with these kind of people? Is that for Jamel and Hercules, guess, or that's well, just? I guess. Um. I guess maybe Hercules can speak, okay. you know, or either can speak. You know. Okay, so it's for both. Okay. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um. So first, you have to understand that there's a huge population in America that feels like this gentleman does. Um. And when I think about those people, one. I don't blame them. I I understand that there's a lot of hurt and pain that has happened for many, many years. And people are essentially fed up with government and politics and the people who continue to come into the neighborhoods and say, vote for me and I'll do this for you. Um, Which is why there's an uprising that we see going on right now because a lot of people are tired of the rhetoric. Um, when it comes to this particular election, we have an obligation to our future to vote, to show up to the polls and vote. And even though there's that conversation, well, neither of these candidates really are going to do anything for me or neither of these candidates really support what I need. And then the whole Joe Biden and Kamala Harris with their previous records my thoughts is okay when you elect someone the goal is electing someone that can work with you that will sit down with you listen to your issues and write legislation or address the issues that matter most to you workability you want to elect someone that you can work with when i look at trump i see someone he's not even trying to hear what i have to say he's not even willing to work with me. Maybe he will for the photo ops or to say that, hey, sat down with a black community, so I must love black people, which he's done. Or mm-hmm. we can look at someone like a Joe Biden, who's running the only other option right now. I mean, there's a libertarian, but you know what I mean? Where we have a Joe Biden, where we have seen the man, one, acknowledge his mistakes, see where he has made decisions that has not 
positively impacted this community to express interest in trying to change the narrative and fix what's not working. And three, if you've watched him as he's been a candidate to the nominee, the reason he keeps switching up on things is because people are having conversations with him and he's listening. Now, any politician can come to you with their plans and say whatever it is that they want to tell you. So when we sit here and say, okay, well, these person's plans, I'm not really feeling it. Well, look at how many politicians actually get into office and complete their plans from when they were running. Life happens, politics happen. And when you look at someone like Obama, where we were like, oh, he's the first black president, he's gonna get it all done for us. He was facing a Republican Senate and House. Facts. When, when you're dealing with different dynamics, it's not as easy as just going into office and saying, this is what I can get done and nobody's gonna stop me. So there's a lot of different dynamics at play. And I say to those who feel discouraged about voting, voting now is not about right now. Voting now is about having another chance to have another tomorrow. Because if we neglect to get involved now, we lose all control of what may come next. Again, I say, at least with Joe Biden, we have workability. Okay. Yes. Like that. Uh, I'm going to answer that question simply put. You have a serious choice. You're going to be on the right side of history, on the wrong side of history. I don't think I need to make it any clearer on what we need to do. Anybody that is still undecided is not undecided. They know what they want to do. The problem is I will encourage those undecided voters to just take a step out and just do it. You already know the answer. You've seen the results of four years. You've seen the results of how it looks congressionally. You've seen the results of rhetoric. You've seen the results of what a leader or leaderless leader who has the pulpit of the world and what they're capable of doing. So now I'm not just at the point. If you're going to vote, you're going to be on the right side of history or the wrong side of history. I have no longer the need to convince. However, imposing to the deeper part of your question, um, and with permission, I would like to share my screen. Um, I want to give you a little snippet you all who are watching, those who are watching and those who are listening, I'm going to give you an illustration of the impact of your vote. Of your vote. Is, is, is it okay if I can share the screen? Of course. Yeah, of course. All right, wonderful. Um, you have to enable me to share. It's not letting me share yet. Okay. Uh, and this is going to be very quick because, again, you know, I, I do this long, you know, as part of my wonderful things I enjoy doing, which is civic, direct civic engagement. Did you but, send um, it? Do we hit the green button on the bottom? I'm pressing, yeah. Share screen? As whoever's the host has to um, allow, give me permission to share screen. Okay, so that's done. We're done. Yeah. Okay. That's, yeah. All right. Because I, I really don't want to talk about it until I uh, show the illustration. So are, are we set? Okay. Yeah. You, Wonderful. I, you got it? Okay. I got it. Thank you. 
All right, let's take a look at this current slide here. Let's get it. Okay. Okay. And I'm going to share with you those who don't understand the power of their vote. This is your answer right here. And the question becomes that uh, my brother and I constantly use, what are you pretending not to know? Right? Because that's what you're doing. You're pretending not to know something. And it doesn't help in these situations. So when you hear people say, or activists like myself say, all politics is local. What do you, I want to just ask you all, what do you hear outside of Hercules? What do you all hear when you hear all politics is local? What do you hear? Senate, House of Representatives, City Council. Okay, cool. Yeah, all right. Pretty much, yeah. So obviously this is a map of the United States, right? This is our country. Yeah. Wonderful. Within the United States, we're located in the Northeast region, right? I'm looking at it from my perspective, right? We're located in the Northeast mm -hmm. region. These are the main states, right? Within the yeah. Northeast region, we live in the state of New York, right? You're with me so far? Yeah. In the state of yes. New York, we live in New York City. In New York City, I live in Brooklyn. If you live in Brooklyn, we respect the borough. Within that respect, the borough, I live in my neighborhood. And within my neighborhood, it's me. When you look at this screen and you use this in the same way as an earthquake, where is the greatest impact? In the center. Mm. Right? When you look at it from a scientific perspective, what is the centerpiece of a cell? The nucleus. So if you look at it from that perspective, then look at this from this perspective. We get so caught up on the top level. We focus on the federal level of politics. And that's super important, especially in this election. I will not discern the fact that everyone should be voting in this federal election. That energy that we're seeing outside, nearly 100,000 plus voters in New York City, over 58 million people have voted early to show that they're not playing in this election. Beautiful. I say to everyone that's watching that has voted early and you're ready to vote, I'm proud of you. But here's where we mess up. After the federal election, we forget about all these important races. The same energy that we have for the federal level, we don't have for our state leadership. We don't have for our city leadership and our local leadership. So because that energy is lacking, you have people that come in and impact your life and impact your livelihood because they know that you're not focused on the local level of politics. So when I tell people who are undecided and feel like they don't want to get involved in politics and voting, take a walk around your community. 
They can walk around in community. If, okay. you're, if you live in Harlem and Harlem was gone, if you live in Bed-Stuy and Bed-Stuy is gone, ask yourself, who allowed this to happen? Right? And what are you going to do about it? Because you have the power to change it. Now, Jamal, I want to get back to, because there's going to be people listening to the audio uh, audio only. Uh, just want to touch base on, uh, can you tell the people, like, uh, the graph of what you showed? And just tell the listeners, because uh, I've seen in the bottom, it's you and the community board. Can, can you just tell, just, right. just for the ones that's listening to the audio? So those who are listening to the audio, I'm going to keep it very simple and simplistic. How does the policies impact your household? Starts with you first. You, household, whatever that consists of, single family, the morals, values, principles. Then expand outward. How does the politics affect your block? People that live on it. Expand outward some more. How does it affect your neighborhood? How does it affect your borough, your city, and your state? The power of state government is where you get the greatest impact of policy. What happens on the federal level, you won't feel the effects. But I guarantee you, if this governor was to say, oh, I'm imposing another tax, a COVID tax, and somehow the tax bracket is much higher for low-income families, but is much lower for the wealthy, you got to ask yourself a question, why am I not paying attention to that? If you have a disgruntled mayor like we've got, a pathetic excuse of a mayor, and you're tired of the bull crap that's going on in your city, you have to ask yourself, what am I going to do about it? I'm going to give you a very good preview. Y'all ready for the preview? Watch this. New York City 2021 endgame. End game. You saw Avengers End Game, right? Yeah. Yes. New York City has the yes. opportunity for the end game. And those who are listening, we all have 37 opportunities to elect everyday people to be a part of the council that will be responsible for a $90 billion budget that could put an end to police brutality and injustice, that could put an end to gentrification and provide true 100% real affordable low-income housing, that could put an end to the disgruntled resources and mismanagement of resources that impact Black and Brown schools versus our white counterparts, that could put an end to the tuition for the City University of New York. Y'all not hearing me. That could put an end to the infrastructure injustices that are happening in our community. That could put an end to the climate injustices that are happening across our city. Y'all still not hearing me. That could put an end to the electoral laws and the challenges that are taking place before us. Do you understand what has been presented before us? So that same energy that we have in electing a new president, the people of the city of New York need to have that same energy because we're going to be electing a new chapter of our city. What are you going to do? 
and and I don't mean to prolong the question, um, but no, we, so we 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 did start this on the basis of the justice system. I think um, it was mentioned that the young the, the man the gentleman he felt like Joe Biden Kamala is attached to a justice system that locks up black people. Um, something else we want to share is understanding that in even that process, the president didn't lock that person up. The senators, like Joe Biden, back when he was in that seat, he didn't lock up those people. Federal judges, Supreme Court judges, appellate judges, um, local surrogate judges, local civil court judges, the ones that sometimes end up on the same ballot line as a president, as your state elected, as your city elected, these are the people where the judgment goes to them to make decisions. So if we're also disconnected from voting, we can't support local judges who will make that decision when that black or brown person is in front of them and they're faced with a decision. So we want to keep that in mind that, you know, when he mentioned all politics is local, even electing the judges that sit in the courtroom to make decisions on small misdemeanors to large cases with uh, regarding um. Uh, 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 children, you know what I'm saying? These things are on the ballot too. That's another reason why you should vote. Yes. 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 And how about just to throw more one sense of reality because my brother Hercules is absolutely correct. By voting, you protect states like New York from the reality of what's to come. And what's to come is this. As of tomorrow, the United States Senate will elect or will confirm the ninth Supreme Court justice. I've said this five years ago. The worst case scenario has come to light. We have now a 6-3 conservative majority on the Supreme Court. The ultimate worst case scenario, which I said five, which I said five years ago, that there will be a 7-2 conservative majority if Trump gets reelected. I said, and I said this before he even gets elected, right? Mm. So what does that mean right now? And everybody should be mad as hell right now. Roe v. Wade, the Affordable Care Act, DACA, um, the 13th, 14th, 15th Amendment, Brown versus Board of Education, um, Voting Rights Act of 1964-65. Civil Rights Act of 1964, the, the Immigration Act of 1966, and many other countless federal policies could immediately be overturned by the Supreme Court. They don't get real in that. And again, what are you going to do about it? I feel, uh, yo. I feel like y'all answered most of our questions. Honestly, it just went back to back. Yeah. And I just want to mention one thing. Jamel, I really appreciate that, um, that PowerPoint you just showed us. I like how you broke it down point to point. I just want to say that. Now, I, I want to get to, I, I want to get a little bit into um, the, the, the Green Party, the, uh, the, the third parties. Why is it that for them, they don't get as much power 
as the Democratic Party and the Republican Party. Can you please talk a little bit about that? Jamel, you got this one. The answer is simple. They're not listening to the ears of the people. Right? Same thing. You see a great, I told people, there's a great awakening that's happening in this country. And the great awakening is that people are waking up to the establishment style of politics. People are tired of Democrat, Republican, Green, and so on and so forth. Because there are people that are believing that these parties are not catering to them. Right? And so when you have third parties like the Green Party, the Libertarian Party, the Independence Party, and so many others, the question is, what, how serious are they in really trying to enroll people into the vision, right? And I'm going to answer that in the same way I encourage those who are going for their dreams. Like, how serious do you want it? These parties can literally be serious national attentions, but how serious do they want it? How uncomfortable these groups or these entities are going to be when they are able to be in the space where all they have to do is just listen versus, oh, I think I know what's right for Black people. I know what's right for the LGBTQIA people. I know what's right for our men and women in the military. I know what's right for children in foster care. I know what's right for the cop. It's just stop and listen, right? And I think the answer to really developing parties, because this goes back to Diddy's quote unquote party that he's trying to do. People are doing things because black has always been trendy, always. So people are hopping on the bandwagon, right? From our white allies and spies and flies to those who see this as I'ma get mine while it's hot. Diddy has been one of those people, right? And the fact of the matter is, again, I'm throwing it back out to the audience. If you're serious about making change, you want to start a party. Well, I don't care if it's called the party for Black Lives. How serious are you going to be willing to do the work? Because the difference between the two-party system and those party systems is that the money has been so infused historically for centuries. So that's old. When we talk about old money, that's old money. But it's opportunities to create that new generational money in a way that can be solvent for all of us. But the question is, how serious you want to do it? That's my and 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 just to uh, um, tag on to that because I agree with what he said. You know, it's not easy. Like first of all, getting elected isn't easy. And now, when you talk about getting masses of people to shift from one ideology over to another, it becomes even more difficult. Right, because we live in a world where what is the new, what is what is what is consistent, what is hot, what are people talking about? And in this country is Democrat and Republican, right? When you think about the third party system, as Jamel said, are you willing to do the work to educate people on what your party does? What does it stand for? Who are your candidates? 
as I, I, I kind of alluded to earlier when I was like, well, it's only two candidates. There, there is a third candidate running for president right now, right? A libertarian candidate. Who is he? What does he do? What does he stand for? Many people will ask that question and they have every right. Often some of these third parties, unless they're doing a great job at promotion, which costs money, which costs, you know, a lot of participation, it's hard to get their message out. And sometimes they rely on people to do their own research. I remember hearing throughout this campaign where people were saying, you know, Joe Biden isn't the one. And I said, well, then if not him, then the only option is Trump. Like, no, the other option is a, a libertarian candidate. I said, okay, well, who is he? The person said, well, go do your research. Now, someone like me who's astute and cares, I don't mind going to do my research. But the average person is not going to go out of their way from feeding their kids, making sure the bills are paid, making sure that, you know, everything is going smooth in their personal life to do that extra step unless they have something in it for them, right? When you think about this, the, 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 the Diddy uh, party, I think it's our, our Black party. Hey, one thing that's gonna attract people to this party is the word Black. So some people will just automatically gravitate over, do some research, find out about it, be interested or not. And some people will still not be knowledgeable that this even exists. So it's just something to keep in mind, you know, when it comes to third parties, you got to put in twice the work. And if you don't, then it's not that the, the, the vision isn't necessary. It's not that the vision is wrong. It's just it hasn't gotten out to the masses and the masses are the people who actually show up to the polls. TC. Get back to me. All right, Elon. She got her base on. <laughs> Um, so are you asking me to ask like a question or to just like comment on the question, question, comment, whatever? I can't really think of a question. I'm just more so I I kind of have this impression that um I feel like black people like okay, the people that are here obviously they care about what's going on in the world and they're you know, we're we're actually you know, putting in our, in our, in our votes. Um, and we really care about what's happening in, um, society and everything like that. But then I just, I also feel like, you know, um, we've been through so much that now we just like, as black people, we don't want to do it. We don't really think we can do anything. And so we kind of don't. So then I kind of feel like, although we, we do get bullied, I would say relentlessly we get bullied and, you know, I just feel like, other people get bullied too, but they fight back. So I just feel like, well, why can't we fight back? But fight back in a way that is effective, you know? And I just wish that we could find a way that is effective rather than, I mean, I, I agree with um, protesting, but I feel like, is that is that effective? Is that going to make um, the higher ups care? You know, so that's my only issue. I just wish that we had, like, we all came together and like thought of something that we could do. You know, it's not a question. But... I think it is a question. Yeah, <laughs> I think it is a question because you asked, why can't black people come together on what yeah. matters most to us? And why aren't we, you know, doing certain things? And, and when you were sharing that, something actually came up in my head. Um, 
during the Occupy City Hall, if you guys were kind of following this um, Black Lives Matter movement, defund the police movement, you know that during a certain time period when they were voting on the city budget, um, folks took to City Hall and said, we're not, we're not leaving here until um, they pass the budget and defund the police. Now, during that time, I remember being out there, looking around, seeing a lot of white people, seeing sprinkles of black people, but I didn't question where are my people as much as maybe others. Someone came to me and says, well, where are the black people? Mind you, this person wasn't even black. Where are the black people? Why are they not out here for this cause? And what I think people have to keep into context is our reality as people of color. We are afraid. We live life in fear, right? One of the police. So certain things, certain movements, you have to go as a black person saying like, I don't care if I get arrested. Like that's a reality that sometimes when it comes to us coming together to do something, anything, you have to accept like, I I may I may get arrested. Hold, hold on, what the hell? Um, can y'all hear me still? Yeah, we can. Yeah. yeah. Um, okay. so I, somebody called my phone. I don't know what is going on. Um, so you 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 have to understand that one we're facing we're facing pushback from reality, and then when we look at as well as this movement, a lot of people that we were seeing were still able to be outside, right? Where we had to continue to make sure our families were fed. Um, we maintained the job that was keeping you know, our, our electricity paid. And then we also have to look at the history where in the past where we have come together and built black institutions and establishments They've been burned down. We've, we've been tramped. Like you, you literally look at it and you name it, even down to the voter suppression conversation, where across the state right now, where Black people are trying to mobilize the masses to make their voices heard, people are plotting and doing things that are making Black people like, ah, is, my life is a little bit more worthwhile than taking a risk of getting arrested or ending up in an altercation. So, I just always like people to be more honest when it comes to black unity, right? For decades, for centuries, they've been doing everything in their power to make us feel like we are more vulnerable when we're together. Whether they put the black man against the black woman, black woman against the lighter skinned black woman, well, you know what I mean? Like there's so many angles that society continues to attack us and make us feel like we have to kind of enter into these certain spaces where we, we, we're not unified. It's unfortunate. And I know that there's people like myself, like Jamel and many others who, this is something that we take seriously and we're working on fixing. But, you know, there's history behind that question and a lot of trauma. Can I, can I give a different perspective? Absolutely. You ready? You even gotta yes. ask. Yes. Just go. <laughs> I believe if a white person was to ask me that question, I would respond by saying, well, could you blame them? 
as a matter of fact, I answered that question. I, a reporter asked me that question. I said, you know, when you ask me that question, here's what I think about. I know I'm putting my leadership, gifts, talents, my power out there. You know, I, I consider myself one of the generals in this great war, right? Okay. And I do what I'm supposed to do. And when I come back home from the battlefield, I see peace in my community. Mm. I see black children running around. I see black brothers smoking weed, laughing. I see my elderly, my seniors, my grandparents sitting around enjoying nature. I see the typical hood arguing. I see speeding cars and everything like that. And you may say to yourself, well, that sounds like chaos. No, actually, that sounds like an everyday peaceful life. Because while they're going through their struggles, the additional entity that they don't worry have to worry about in that moment is racism, is police injustice. So when I'm out there doing what I'm supposed to do, it's for them to rest. I do believe that Black people should have an opportunity to step back. They're, and But also have people like myself who will continue to aggressively put in their face that you want to pay us what we owe. It's just as simple as that. And in addition to that, it's really about taking direct civic engagement to the next level. I've been saying this ever since I ran for office. I need more of us to step up and run for office. You want the answer? That is the golden answer. You want to run for city council? Listen, show people that we deserve to pay you $150,000 a year. You want to run for state senate or state assembly? Show us, and you ready for change, show us why we, the people of the state of New York, should pay you $160,000 a year. If you want to run for Congress and you're sick and tired of what's going on in your community, show us why we should pay you over $180,000 a year, okay? In other words, if you're not going to step up and do the job, then be appreciative of the peace that you have because people like ourselves are doing the work for you. In other words, there are four tiers of people that I say is unfortunate in my community and many other communities. You have what's called the woke, right? That's the top one. We, that's us. We know what's going on. If you've ever been and seen a massive choir, right, there's a, a massive group of choir members and then there's a group of solid members in the front. That's us, mm -hmm. soloists. Right. But we can't do it without the people in the back. One hand supports the other. The second tier is those what I call the lukewarms. They're, they're about it, but they're kind of, you know, wishy-washy. It's like that nasty, salty spilling in your mouth. Like, eh, all right. You're not too sure, but, you know, they, they can be useful. Right. But there's an opportunity to kind of sway them in. Right. And then there's the third tier, which I call the un unfortunate ignorance because it's unfortunate that despite everything that's going on they're still choosing not to see an opportunity to change or to step up and do something about it even though you 
have hit rock bottom because you're, I used to, you, you hit the expression, there's no other place uh, to go but up. No, that's not true. You can stay your behind right there. A lot of people stayed at the bottom of the bucket. They don't want to go up. They're comfortable there. That's why I say that's part of the unfortunate ignorance. But then you have a new term, and I want to give a shout out to my boy, Chris, for this one, which I have used, and it's very important, is the unapologetic ignorance. Those are the, the David Camerons and all the cooneries that, you know, if you can get an old school grandma belt, you just <laughs> Is this, like, I don't need to, like, you need one of those, Sister Maybell, you've been bad during Holy Communion, and when we get home before you eat, I'm tearing that ass up. Excuse my French, but it's straight up. It's just straight. Because they are unapologetic in their negligence in choosing to be ignorant. You get what I'm saying? They're yes. intentionally doing things to poke the bear. And the sad part is, while they're doing all of that, the Lannisters is looking at them like, look at them. They're doing my job. And I get to rock the golden hair, the blue eyes, and get to reign over King's Landing for decades to come. And again, I'm giving these illustrations of scenarios going back to the question, what are you going to do about it? What are you going to listen? Hold on. Hold on. What are you going to do about it? So it's, I don't know how much time we have for you guys, but I feel like I have social, I have Black Lives Matter social issues that I want to ask y'all questions also. And uh, it's like, just just, just shoot your shot, bro. I have one question. I have one question. (laughs) Speaking of like people who's very ignorant and don't want to know better, I was thinking like, is it smart nowadays to start teaching kids about like their politics, the rights, the right way, not the whitewash way, but the right way around like, let's say middle school age. So for the generations ahead, that'd be, let's say the word woke, understand what's happening to make a difference in our community now. Let me ask That's you a question. Mm-hmm. Let me ask you a question. In elementary, middle school, high school, college, mm-hmm. they teach you history, American history, uh, French Revolution. You know what I mean? They they take you all across the board. Um, yeah. this, this is a question I'm really asking the world right now because it just came to my head. Would it not be more productive for society to teach civic engagement to kids versus social study history that they teach that one Mm -hmm. is watered down. It's not the true Mm -hmm. history of any of these places. And in the end of it all, all they have is knowledge versus practical information that they can take with them every day. Yes. I believe that they need to, in the curriculums, absolutely, in the middle school, as well as elementary, have civic engagement courses that not just teach you about the history, which is important, but also tell you 
how to be engaged, what that looks like, and projects. Look at the youth who rose up. It was 2020, 2019, all these years is jumbled in. But for this climate conversation, they're paying attention at those ages. They're awake and curious at those ages. So if we're feeding them, we're talking to them, we're engaging with them on these issues from judges to city council to community boards to all the things that, again, Jamel referenced when he said all politics is local. When they get of age to vote, to run for office, to, to be engaged on a campaign, to work for a non-for-profit that addresses issues that they care about, they're not at square one where it's like, well, I got to learn everything now. Often, most of the people that don't turn into voters when they're of age is because they don't know what's going on. I use myself as an example. I voted for the first time for Obama only because he was black. It wasn't one of those things that was like, oh my gosh, it's a presidential election. This is my civic duty. I have to vote and I have to always vote. Before that, I can't even sit here and tell you every single time that I did go and vote. Mm -hmm. Because for me, there was a disconnect. And that's why I understand people with the disconnect. I'm sure all of us were at a stage at some point where it wasn't as important as it was, as it is to us now. And for me, time, you know, uh, availability to get, I mean, there were so many easy things that I was able to use to not go and vote. It goes back to like, how do you teach a kid to care for their neighborhood? You show them the importance of keeping it clean. You show them the importance of knowing who their neighbors are. You show them the importance of investing in their communities. So again, it goes back to if we're not teaching young kids about this stuff, we're not going to get where we need to go as a society. Okay. Let's get it. Okay. That's, that's straight so, bars right there. Huh, yeah, that's facts. So <laughs> I want to I want to get into all right. So I I was gonna jump into the electrical college, but since we're talking about the system now, I want to ask you, um, if you're having a conversation with someone, and he tells you that um, there's no such thing as systematic or systemic racism, and you're having a conversation with him or what would you say to this person telling you this you ready first thing tell me where you live get him <laughs> get him <laughs> wait but it, it, it's much deeper than that it's much deeper than that because this is where you get the answers is a and i'm going to give you a demonstration let's say this person lives on 65 central park west Upper West Side, beautiful, upper income neighborhood, right? And he says, take a walk with me, right? He gives me a tour of the Upper West Side. I see a lot of new high clientele stuff. I see, you know, the energy is different. The air is different. The atmosphere is, is very posh. It's, it's very bourgeois, right? It's very, you know, uh, astute, yeah. you know, all of these things, right? 
The problem is we don't invite those individuals to come to the hood. There is a wall. You see, what, when you hear people say there's no such thing as systematic oppression, a lot of them do not experience our experiences because there is a blind wall. And behind that blind wall is the truth. And the truth is, what are you pretending not to know? In other words, you know damn good well there is systematic injustice. But since you want to take it there, let me provide a qualitative uh, ethnographic experiential learning for you. Let me give you a walkthrough of Brownsville. Let me give you a walkthrough of East New York. Let me show you where we live. And when I show you these spaces, compare it. Now, now I'm going in my professor mode. Compare it to the same experiences as much as possible to your daily experience. When you want, and then I'll close with this, because I said this at a rally in Garden City. I'm sorry, Long Beach. You want to know what systematic oppression looks like, systematic racism looks like? The time is now 8, 10 p.m. Watch this. In a white household in Bensonhurst or Diker Heights, their children are preparing for a wonderful meal. Mother, father, you ready? They run down the stairs. They smell the good meal of their household that they enjoy. They sit around the dinner table. They say their respective grace and they eat. They smile. They're talking. They're connecting. They're asking their children how was school or you prepared for the week, right? Husband and wife having a wonderful time together. Peacefully and relaxed. And it's 53 degrees outside right now. You ready for this? It is now 8-11. And Black folk are outside fighting for the same opportunity that they should be doing right now. But they can't because of the intentional difference in experiences that is happening Right now, the time is still the same. But the difference is while our white counterparts are relaxing peacefully, warm, enjoying themselves, probably watching CNN, making phone banks to tell people to go out and vote. Black people are out there in the cold with real allies fighting for that same exact opportunity. You tell them and present them with that question and be surprised at their responses. Facts. And and one thing I always like to use as an analogy when it comes to systematic racism and oppression, I go to our representation. Um, We talk about all the time in our executive offices in our Congress and uh, city, state levels, we don't have enough women, 
black people, people of color, et cetera, et cetera. Systematic oppression looks like us celebrating our first and only representative for our state being a black woman. Right now in New York state, there is only one black woman representing the entire state for Congress. And we celebrate that. We say we have to keep her there because she's a voice that we don't have outside of her. Systematic oppression and racism looks like us seeing that as a trophy. You look at Letitia James, Attorney General, one of the top state positions. I believe she fits in the category of first woman, black woman. That's a celebration for some and for others, it's like, what do you mean she's the only the first? Why, why is it only? Well, because obstacles have existed that barred this from being a reality for so many who may have tried before. Then we look at someone like Shirley Chisholm who ran for president. She didn't win, but she built the narrative of it's possible. So when we look at a Kamala Harris, all these years later, she's the first person to finally get to that stage and that level again as a black woman. We ask ourselves, well, what stopped the rest of the folk? So where we celebrate the accomplishments and see them as life-changing, we have to realize like, no, this should have been, this should have been normal and been normalized a long time ago if there were not systematic oppression. Again, executive boards and corporations all over the United States of America. There's a reason that people have made a decision to keep people of color off those tables, out of those conversations. And now, because they're being forced, because people are writing laws and putting in diversity clauses saying, you gotta have at least one black person and one this and one that. So they're fulfilling requirements now in, our, in these industries. And we're still saying, well, this, this company is now more diverse, right? These are ways that we're still dealing with the same thing, but it looks different. And it's, it's and I just wanna remind people like, we have such a long way to go before we get out of this conversation. Um, even if for some, they don't realize it. So can I, I'm gonna do some pushback only because in this explicit, this, in this explicit nature and because I taught this course, I taught my students in the spring that we gotta stop using the term people of color. We have to. I taught a course called Racial and Ethnic Politics at Brooklyn College. And each ethnic group has its own respective journey. When you put us all in one lump sum, it's like saying, like we're all part of one cohesive unit when we all do not have the same experiences. When I hear that, and this is not against you, but it's a personal frustration because for so many years, and I've proven this in my syllabi, okay, articles that have proven that when the African-American race is at the forefront for injustices and fighting for equality, 
the other racial ethnic groups benefit from it. When you say in terms of communities of color, you're putting everybody in that same assumption. So affordable housing for communities of color, that means Asian, Irish, uh, you know, Italian, whatever, right? These different all communities, right? And Black folk, again, a little bit of that piece of pie. But because these terms are so liquid down in a way that it shows what I call de jure, a systemic way of putting us together, even though we're not equals, you get terms like diversity and equitable training as these masks that skates around the reality that is directly impacting Black lives. And it goes back to the status of where we started. So when you hear people say, this is a binary conversation, we didn't make it a binary conversation. We didn't do it. But every time we fought for hours, and I can prove it with my work and articles and scholarly journals, to back what I'm saying, other racial ethnic groups gave it this, received the same benefit. So when I go back to saying that it's so important for the Black community, I'm explicitly saying the Black community has to have the same energy in being mad that we're paying $160,000 to people who are screwing us over. And we've proven that this past June, eight uh, establishment candidates, meaning people that focus on power and not the community, who believe that they have to kiss the ring of certain people and to, in order to get money because money equals voice for them versus them having their own voice, which talking to the community because they don't want to do the work. So therefore, they're pretending not to know that if I don't do right for my community, the community will not do right for me. And we've proven that. We've woken up Brooklyn in a way that everyday people are stepping up and showing their authentic selves. One, and I close with this. In 2016, whether you agree with the country's decision or not, the country wanted the continued wave of authentic leadership. This current president, whether you agree with him or not, I strongly disagree with him. However, at the end of the day, he was himself, himself. And that's why people rock with him. Trump is a New Yorker. He's, he has that same grit. He uses it wrong, but you see how he moved. This is how we move as New Yorkers. We take control. Yo, you want to tell me what to do? What? What? You want to tell me? I can't tweet. Imagine somebody telling you, seriously, this is how we, like, I, those are watching on other states, this is, the, this is how we move in New York. I've done it. We've done it. When we come in, we take control. Bump what you heard. If you're, you're fired. Next, let's keep going. Right? We point people out. We make people feel comfortable. We say what we mean. We, what we, we say what's ever on our minds. Right? We don't care. He's proven that way. Again, he's using it in the wrong way. However, because of that authentic leadership, guess what he does? Look at TC right there looking amazing. The president of the United States pointed to me. It's over. <laughs> look, at, look, at, look, at, look at look at look at that man. Oh, he's, look at look at Diamond. Oh, look, that's such a beautiful name. Uh, I mean, I mean, look at him. He is a diamond. Let, can everybody show him some love? 
What is he doing? He's giving people upward mobility. He was giving away, he was signing, I'll close with this. He was signing, there was a, uh, I was watching the Daily Show. He was signing some, something and he was passing it out to the people in the audience. He was like, yeah, take this, sell that on, on uh, eBay. You'll get $10,000. You know what he's doing? Like, he's literally saying like, yo, I got you. Like, yo, here, here's your way out. He's giving people on that side, the radical right and everybody else, and including black men who are looking to him as that, that event authenticity. He's catering to that authentic stuff, which is why he says stuff where as a doctoral candidate, because my stuff in politics is I have to see both sides. He said some valid points. One of those points, which is something I said about the Democrats for a long time, a lot of them, especially on the local level and even on the federal level, are all talk, no action. This is why you see gentrification in our communities, right? Civic engagement 101. The city council decides what happens within their communities. When you hear the word rezoning, red flag, winter's coming. Who gets to sign that? It don't happen out of nowhere. Somebody's in that bathroom. Kirk could tell you. We know all the tea. And the tea is coming out because people need to know this civic engagement. Because these are going to be the same ones come next year. Hey, Diamond. Hey, L. Hey, TC. How you doing? Yeah, you know, guys look great. I can see you. Yeah, you looking at them like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. When you want to stop, mm-hmm, and let them know, like, you're a dub. Damn. Damn. Elon, anything? Questions, concerns? I've got nothing. <laughs> All right. So let's uh, damn <laughs> facts. All right. So this is why. All right. So it, we have uh, a couple of topics. So I want to I want to talk about dealing with people on social media, which is Jam- uh, Jamel. I know you talked about um, coons and everyone. Right. So I want to deal with the ignorant people that, you know, let, let's talk about the ignorant people real quick that we argue with on social media. The people that be talking about, you know, Black Lives Matter is Marxist. Oh, look at the looting. Look at the writing they're doing. Like, and they're posting stuff about the looting and the rioting, but they're not talking about the police brutality of what was wrong. And they, they're, you know, how a police officer shoot an unarmed Black person and they know it's wrong, but they're not posting about it. But the looting, the rioting, oh, Black Lives Matter organization is Anifa and Marxist and all of that. Now, how do we deal with those type of ignorant people? How to deal with that? Oh, not and, and not to mention also, I'm, uh, the also the ones that switches the subject. Oh, what about black on black crime? What about that? And I got one better. Yeah. Yes. All lives matter. That's all I'm just gonna say that. Yes, absolutely. Yes. Which is black Mm. on black crime. Why does it only apply to us? But go ahead. Talk talk your gems, bros. So I think that that's probably one of the hardest conversations when it comes to 
explaining why um I, I don't even like to use the word black on black crime. I don't even to my brother, I know he wasn't coming for me, but I don't even really like to use the word persons of colors either. But you realize that society very quickly normalizes words and terms and and, and sometimes you get caught up and using them and, and ref, referring to them. But I look at it just like anything else. First of all, there is no such thing as black on black crime. So I say this to the folks, there is no such thing as black on black crime. And I heard someone say this, I'm trying to remember the name of them, but they said it very well. It's called proximity killing. If you are in an all black neighborhood and you're dealing with what you're dealing with, crime, violence, success, black people around black people. So whatever's gonna happen is gonna happen within that sector. Just like if I go into an all white community, the violence that's happening in the all white community is proximity to who's in this area. Can't control that. So that's one. Two, poverty breeds crime. You cannot take one without the other. Very rarely do you find a rich person or a person with means or access. Let me let me stop myself because you got a lot of rich people committing crimes. But you rarely find the majority of well-off people committing the same crimes as people who are poor. People who are black have historically been in poverty, fighting for scraps, literally. Black on black violence looks like two black people who have nothing to eat trying to get to the same garbage can to get food out of it. If one man pushes the other man out the way to get the scraps in the garbage, do you call that black on black crime? Or do you call that people out here trying to get something to eat for the night? If I'm trying to pay my rent, if I'm trying to make sure that there's food for my kids, first of all, it's human instinct, one, to do whatever you have to do to survive. What that looks like, sometimes you don't look at color. You look at getting results, finding the resources that you need, again, to survive. So I always want to have the conversation with people to think about what they're saying when they talk about black on black crime. What resources do people have in this particular neighborhood to not be committing crimes, to not be starving? The other part of your question is, how do we address these people on social media when they talk about these things, when they bubble the whole Black Lives Matter movement into Antifa and all these other crazy ideologies. My thing is, is in any movement, in any movement, you have all types of people. In the Black Lives Matter movement, you have all types of people. You have people who they're so angry, their way of releasing anger is to burn down, to, 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 to burn it all down. Some people... They want to go out there and just say what they have to say, get it off their chest, and they go home. Some people don't want to do either of those two, and they want to get elected, or they want to go to where the real work is happening, and they want to make 
their energy and their voices heard at the tables where policy is being written for these communities. None of them are wrong, right? Because we need all levels of agitation in the process of getting what we deserve because people aren't listening. If people were listening, we wouldn't have some of these issues. We wouldn't need certain levels of agitation. So when we talk about lumping everybody together, that's like saying um, because I'm my father's son, I have to go and do what my father did as a lifestyle. I can be like him. You may assume it because I grew up around him and he was the influences that I knew, but I could be my own person. And I think very often we always like to lump people in, into, into groups instead of seeing people for who they are and what they're doing. I've realized that on social media, you cannot sometimes argue with people. You can't go back and forth because you find yourself responding to almost what we call ignorance and people that are not really willing to listen and to have a real honest conversation. For instance, so I can let Jamel share his piece. And I was hit, almost hit by a car in Times Square um, during a rally protest um, for a gentleman, Daniel Prude, who was had mental health issues. And instead of them sending the support he needed to to them to deal with it, they sent cops and the cops ended up um, killing him. So who's just out there, support, solidarity. I myself was not doing anything to create negative energy in the space. It was all positive. It was always about marching for justice. I almost got hit by a car. I went on to Twitter. I didn't go on to Twitter. Let me change that. Someone put the video on Twitter of the car almost running us over. I think I, I, I responded like, oh my gosh, that was me until I saw this video. I didn't know how crazy the whole situation was. More people said in the comments, why were they in the street? What were they doing? They were antagonizing somebody. You know what I mean? There was more people telling me what I did was wrong and I almost deserved to be hit by the car. Then there were people saying like, dang, this was wrong. And it's like, if I spent my every moment responding to each of those people and telling them why they're messed up for their perspective, would I really gain anything? And that's sometimes what you have to ask yourself. Certain times, is it worth me really having this conversation with you? You could try. And I think that everybody, you should give them that opportunity. But after a while, you have to realize where you want to put your energy in this battle for justice. And sometimes it shouldn't be on social media in the first place. Because half of the time, you got all these people tweeting stuff that they won't say to your face. So I'm going to answer that with a very, I think, simple question. And I'm going to present it intentionally as a writing assignment. Because that's the best way. I love doing what I do. <laughs> right? 
because some people got to really be taken to school. So those who believe that all lives matter and that, you know, Black Lives, this Black Lives Matter is, you know, a hoax or it's far right and that, you know, what about Black on Black crime, Black on Black violence? Okay. I'm going to read a few things first. Number one, we hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal. And under certain inalienable rights, among them are life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness. Right? We, the people, in order to establish, ready, a more perfect union, establish justice, ensure domestic tranquility, provide for the common defense, promote the general welfare, and secure the blessings of liberty to ourselves and posterity, do ordain this Constitution for the United States of America. Ready? Amendment number 13. Neither slavery or involuntary servitude, except as a punishment for crime, whereof the party shall have been duly convicted, shall exist within the United States or any place uh, subject to their jurisdiction. Amendment number 14. All persons born or naturalized in the United States and thereof, I'm, I'm abridge, uh, abbreviating, right? And the subjects there are, are citizens of the United States of this, and of the state where they reside. Let's go to the uh, 15th Amendment. The right of citizens of the United States to vote shall not be denied or abridged by the United States or by any state on account of race, color, previous condition of servitude. The question that I ask is, for those who say all lives matter, prove to me that these words are a daily consistent effect on all lives. Prove to me that of all we hold truths to self-evident that all men are created equal. Prove to me that it applies to all lives consistently, not just by policy, consistently. And when I say consistently, is meaning that you get to walk among the land peacefully, no matter what create race, color, or creed that exemplifies the laws of this constitution. If you can provide me that, I will publicly recognize you and thank you. But because I know that's not going to happen, you have your answer. Let's go. Let's go. Uh, Elon, any questions? No? All right. <laughs> All right, TC. TC, you're on mute. No, that's it, honestly. All the questions you guys answered was like everything in one, basically. Huh. So, so with uh, your permission, because uh, I feel like I don't like to close out with next steps because I did a lot of talking. I provided questions yes. about immediate action. Immediate action steps. Number one, we have done a phenomenal job. I believe, Hercules, who you could share the numbers, a little over 100,000 as of tonight, maybe over 120,000. I'm sure we'll get the number of people who voted early in the first two days of our historic early voting time in the state of New York. We need to have that every single day. 
We have yes. from now to November 3rd. Let's shatter records. Let's shake yes. the damn ring. Yes. Get on them line. Yes. I want y'all to wait on them line. I want people who have voted to go back and encourage people to stay on those lines. Clap yes. it up. Play some music. There is nothing in the Board of Elections law that says, well, as long as you're within a as long as you're not within a hundred feet of that polling site, game on. I need my black churches to be out there, provide chairs, pray with the people, encourage the people. As they're getting closer to that 100 feet yard space, cheer them on. Treat this election cycle and going for it like it's a dog on amusement park and you get ready to go on nitro. Yes. yes I need you absolutely. to continue consistently put this energy into it. Knock on doors. Tell people they can't vote. Oh, y'all got cars? Carpool. These are stuff that we have done. Do whatever it takes to get people to the polls. And be consistent about it. And then second step, 2021. There are 37 opportunities for to change the city council. It can finally be truly the people's council. I need 37 people who are hungry to make the difference and step up because there's going to be establishment candidates that are ready to take back this power. And then the last step is to begin to seriously look at your community. And ask yourself a serious question. If you're sick and tired of this, what are you going to do to change it? Those are my three action steps. All right, let's get it. All right, so four more. All right, so I have four more questions. Four questions, and then we're going to close the podcast out. Uh, Let's talk about the Electrical College, because I feel like that's important uh, to talk about. So last election... Trump got elected because the electoral college. Now, you guys can tell me I'm wrong. Um, so Hillary, a lot of people were saying Hillary was supposed to win, but it was something that Trump did that made the electoral college pick Trump. So why, to, not why, but talk about the electoral college and like, because Hillary did win the popular vote also. So can you just please just touch on that? Um, yeah. Uh, I want to let Jamel kind of go through that one because he definitely has a um, good historical lens. But one thing I do want to say for our listeners when it comes to Trump winning, it kind of goes back to every other conversation we've been having tonight. It's all tied in. Um, in the sense that systematic oppression and systematic disenfranchised, this, am I saying this word right? Um, disenfranchising, Jamal, what, what? Disenfranchisement. Yes, of people. Um, but Jamal, can you expound? So it's, it's very simple. Again, going back to the question, if all lives matter, then why is there intentional uh, gerrymandering? Right? Because I don't want to, when you look at the numbers, right? Somebody, you mean to tell me in the one country that exudes democracies, the people by 7 million, 8 million, Two million, four million can decide who the next president is. 
but because of the political structure that is intending to suppress the direct vote and because the electoral vote is based upon the congressional lines for each state, which is why if you look at the census, which is super important, right? The next 10 years will impact that electorate. So currently the state of New York has 29 electors, okay? Which represents the 29 congressional districts, right? If you, if we lose population, right? And the numbers change, right? Whoever's in power gets to redistrict those lines in a way that's beneficial to the current political power that's in charge, which nine times out of 10, unfortunately, due to the intentional voter suppression laws is the Republican party. And if you look, you can Google search it right now. A Republican Senator literally said, we do the gerrymandering because we, the Republicans feel we know what's best for the country. So you got your credible evidence that they're saying, we're doing this because we think we know what's best. Again, the question becomes, what are you going to do about it? Yes, yes. All right, three more questions. Um, so what, so even though I, I feel like you answered this question already, Jamel, but uh, I, I, I feel like I, I gotta ask, I gotta ask this question. If Trump wins this election, what is next for people? Ooh. If Biden, if Biden wins this election, what is next for people? So, where we have to be as a people, as a society, is this is a twenty four seven job. We can't let our foot off of the gas. Why? Because when we do, we end up with presidents like Donald Trump in the White House. He's a direct correlation of people who sat back and thought things was cool. So whether it's Trump in the White House, Biden in the White House, Kamala Harris in the White House, Mike Pence in the White House, Jamel in the White House, This doesn't stop. One, we have to look at who is next going to be elected. Our local elections, as we keep saying, all politics is local. So just because we have a president that we may or may not like, that may or may not support our ideas and our agendas, we have local city councilmen, mayors, governors that actually also directly impact our lives. And if we don't have those representatives lined up, stopping things from happening from the federal government, for instance, we could look at the conversation of uh, immigrants and immigration, right? Places like New York, due to leadership, has been very supportive of the immigrant community, making sure that they have support while they live, right? My parents came from Jamaica. So I know that we need leaders that care about the immigration conversation. Now, when Donald Trump and the federal government was trying to, you know, put a heavy hand with ICE 
and into the school system. You guys heard a lot about the conversations about certain cities becoming sanctuary cities where they decided we weren't going to give certain information to, to Trump, even if it wasn't the, the top leadership and the execs, local elected officials were out saying, like, we won't let anything happen to this community. We will protect you. So when you ask what happens after a president is elected, we got to go and continue paying attention to what's happening in our local elections. Who, who are we electing? Do they represent our issues and our needs? And again, start the conversation about the next four years. Just because, you know, Trump had four years. Whatever happened, happened. He doesn't have to have another four years. But if we, again, took our foot off the pedal, we were sitting back and watching him destroy our nation instead of preparing who was going to lead us next. So many people are like, oh, Joe Biden wasn't my pick. Well, what were you doing between Trump being elected the first time and this next election to ensure that the person that you wanted as president was in the position to be there? How many people actively were doing something? Often after elections, it gets quiet. Everybody disappears. All the hype goes away. Things are calm. And we can't do nothing about it. So we just go back into our corners. And that's always been and always will be the wrong attitude to have. That's, yeah. I say the answer is very simple. What do we do? The powers that, any powers that's outside of, that's not written in the United States Constitution is pretty much game on for the state. So if Trump wins the federal, the people take back the states. When the state legislature, you want to give Trump hell, give the country Democratic state leadership. Give the country Democratic. As a matter of fact, how about this? Give the country real, progressive, everyday people. That's going to use the word, the root word in progressivism, progress. And progress is not an offensive word. Let the people give Trump, give this candidate and this person the space to know that he is going to have hell to deal with because he can't get shit done on the state levels because you have elected governors that are making it very clear, we do not have to exude that law or we do not have to participate in that law. You want to give Trump hell? You make sure that you elect judges that are going to make sure they stand for you in the duration of the next decade or 14 years, depending on the severity, depending on your state. That's what you do. If Joe Biden wins, you continue to put that pressure because we holding you even more accountable because you came with a way out and we're going to hold you to it. And so same way, I will call them out just like everybody else. And the last thing piece is you got to be continuing to be consistently committed to change. The city of New York has been consistently committed to change for over 175 days and counting in activism for equality and justice. We're not stopping and we can't stop. The city has given the people full permission to exercise its first amendment rights to the United States constitution. 
And that includes educating the people on our experiences, calling people to action and stepping up. And we have done it very successfully without zero spikes in COVID cases when it comes to protesting and organizing. Look at the data. So again, what are you going to do about it? What are you going to do about it? Let's get it. All right, last question. And then we're going to close out. All right. So the last question is, what is your final thoughts for the people that is listening? And uh, what is your social media? Oh, and Hercules, specifically for you, uh, explain the senses. Yeah, so I guess I'll start with explaining the census uh, as a kind of close out. So in all that we've been saying, um, our governments are run, represented through different means and through different avenues. The census, one, provides federal money to our states and local governments to then provide money and resources to our local communities, the ones that they represent. It's understood that a local rep understands the community more than say someone dealing with the nation, right? You assume. So you have congressional seats, which Jamal was just talking about. With the census, it says, okay, because we have this amount of people, say we'll, we'll use small numbers. In this area, we have 10 people. With those 10 people, here is enough resources to feed, to give them the education, um, the roads, and all of the things that the public, those public people can use. Here's another community. They told me 20 people live here. So we're going to give them enough funding for 20 people so that they now can survive as well. And, a represent, and enough representation. When we think about the census, a better way to think about it is we can be undercounted, but it's hard to get overcounted. What does that mean? If I'm in a community of 20, but 10 people fill out the census, we're only getting resources for 10 people. So that means out of that 20, 10 people will not have food, not have education, and not be able to tra um, travel, and not have access to good health care. Like, it's deeper than that, but think of it on that simple, on those simple levels. So our hospital systems, public, think about public. Public, public, public means taxpayer money. It means available for the public consumption, which is why when we have conversations about people having access, why am I paying the same taxes but have access to lower quality of healthcare, for instance, or lower uh, quality hospitals? Some of it goes back to the census. In certain communities, because there's more residents, the government's giving more money so their hospitals can keep up with the number of people. If here I am in Brooklyn and they think we have, say, what, 1.8 million people, but there's really 3 million people. Again, you have to just, it's simple math. I'm not going to give you what I don't know you need. 
So when we were pushing for the census and what happens is these are um, time frames of 10 years at a time. Like when this America was created, one of the things they said is the people need to be counted so we know how to provide the resources. Again, I'm not using the exact terms, but I'm giving you general ideas. So every 10 years they have this count to make sure there's an accurate giving out of funds. And that's why we always have this conversation. 10 years ago, we lost representation. We lost money because not, because like, again, in the same scenario, we had 20 people, but only 10 filled out the census. So that's why we were pushing so hard to be counted 100%. You know, we looked at the number uh, 50 and said, well, we, let's get over that part because that was what we did last year. But that's a horrible low bar. If we don't get to 100, we will always lose. Because, for instance, if Florida or Texas or any other state gets counted more people than us, again, the resources will go over there and so on and so forth. It will be distributed. So we will always lose no matter what, even if we do better than the years before, if someone is also outperforming us. So these are things that now we're going to have to look out for because the census is now over. They're tallying the counts. And we're going to, in real life, for some of us, get to see what this looks like. Because remember, for some generations like mine, 10 years ago, what was the census? I didn't, I, I mean, I might have heard of it. But now, these years later, I actually can see in real life how it's going to impact us. They're going to redraw lines. Districts are going to shape and shift. And money will then also flow into communities differently. And we'll get to see in real time what that looks like. And we encourage those who, like me, were never paying attention to start actually in real time seeing that. Because over the next few years, next year specifically, they will redraw the lines based on these new census numbers. And Jamel can go into deeper what that means in the field of the political world. Well, now elections will change. City council people that will run next year will have to run again. Right. So over the next four or five years, we're going to be having an election every single year because of what's about to change. So um, I want to let Jamel kind of chime in because I know he has a, also more perspective on the census piece. Um, but that, that was that was in a nutshell, the census. I actually want to say, well, Kirk has been very passionate about it. Everything he says spot on. But here's what I will say. 2020 is done. I'm, in, I'm going to challenge the incoming state and city leadership. Prepare for Project 2030 starting now. You want to get to that 100%? We now officially have 10 plus months, 10 years and some odd months to make that happen. And I'm looking at the elected officials and those who are running for office right now. Again, back to the question. The city of New York had a low poor turnout in the census. The state of New York probably had a low poor turnout with the census. What are you going to do about it? I can't stress Final that thoughts. Final thoughts. That's it. That was the final thoughts. That's it. Let's get it. <laughs> Let's get it. Thank you. Oh, social media. How can they follow you? Yeah, so um, 
my social media, most of my platforms, you can find me at H-E-R-C-U-L-E-S underscore read, R-E-I-D. That's Hercules Reed, my first name and my last name. Um, as they say, you can Google me. I'm very findable. I made sure of that because I think it's important that people know what I'm doing. People know how to join what I'm doing and get involved right here in Brooklyn or find out what I'm doing and replicate it in their own communities. Um, I don't do what I do for me. I do it so that we can grow together. Um, if I'm excelling and my people are not rising with me in the space of at least opportunities and access resources and education, then I feel like I'm not doing my part. So um, again, I want to say thank you all for giving myself this platform. Uh, it means a lot. And to the viewers, thank you guys for listening. Um, you know, all power to the people. That means we have the power in our hands as long as we use it. So let's get out there. Let's continue to be engaged. Let's vote. Let's vote early. Let's vote often. Again, it's not just the presidential elections. If you live in New York specifically, I'm telling you now, you'll see it, but you're hearing it first. At least for the next five years, there will be an election every year, which means we can truly change the narrative and shape the future of the city and state for a very long time. And if we sit this one out, if we sit these races out, we will not be able to have control nor complain about what comes next. Let's change the narrative, let's switch it up and let's do everything we can to fix what we know is broken for generations to come. All right. Uh, I just want to simply say this. Follow me on Facebook, Instagram at Jamel uh, Henderson. Uh, on Instagram, more particularly, Jamel.Henderson. Twitter is Jam underscore Henderson, J-A-M underscore Henderson. Um, and I look forward to connecting with all of you. I just want to say this. I gave you the question. In the great words of my boy, Pop Smoke, it's time to shake the room. Let's get to work. Thank you guys. Thank you so much. Thank you. I, I see. I knew y'all was going to drop gems on them. That's listen. Thank you so much, and everything. Our team, please follow these guys. Please, they are all about work, community work. You just learned why voting is important. Let's get it, y'all. Yep. Thank you so much, guys. Thank you. Thank you, guys. Thank you so much. Right, Thank y'all. you. Thank you. Have a good night, all. All right. Good night, guys. Good night. night. There you go. TC, thank you so much, guy. All right. We out, y'all. Peace. Later, guys.